Today, we dive into everything you need to know about combining personal branding, storytelling, and business modeling for food blogging success. Take it away, O'Malley. The way you monetize your blog defines the experience that you give your readers. If it's only about ad revenue, then the only thing you're focusing on is increasing traffic. Whereas if you're using other avenues for gaining revenue, then you're going to be a little bit more creative and you're also going to set up your blog differently and your marketing differently. Hey there, I'm Jason Logston and this is Make and Bacon, where I'll help you serve your fans, grow your income and get the most out of your blog. Today's episode is brought to you by Food Photography Club. Food Photography Club is a membership site all about food photography, as you could probably guess by the name. There are multiple courses in the program, ranging from beginner to intermediate and advanced content. Not only will you learn how to create beautiful food photos, if you want to do this for a living, this is the place for you. Christina Peters is the veteran award-winning photographer behind the club, where she is teaching everything she knows from her 25 plus year career in food and photography. You can learn more about the Food Photography Club at foodphotographyclub.com, a great URL. That is good marketing right there. And on a personal note, I've worked with Christina multiple times. She's wonderful, super knowledgeable person and always happy to answer questions. And she knows more about making a living as a photographer than anyone that I have ever talked to. And remember, you can join us live every Thursday when we record these episodes on Facebook and YouTube. You can ask the guest questions, talk to the other bloggers in the comments, and even see our smiling faces. So join us Thursdays at makethatbacon.com slash live. Now, on to the show. As bloggers, we often get into the habit of writing posts, taking photos, and posting on social media. But we often lose track of where we are going or who we are writing for. Luckily, today's guest is the perfect person to help us out. She is a food blogger, content creator, marketer, and personal branding specialist. She studied the fundamentals of marketing and got creative working with entrepreneurs across different industries. She's seen the highs, the lows, the strategies, and the tactics. She lives and breathes marketing, branding, and business. So I can't wait to learn from today's guest, O'Malley Lucas. O'Malley, welcome to Make and Bacon. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much. I am very excited to be here. It's great having you here, and I think you might be our furthest away guest on this show. Really? I think so. <laughs> You're on uh, Curacao, is that correct? Yes, I'm in the Caribbean, yes. I am jealous right now. It's 50 degrees and raining here. Well, it is quite rainy these days because we're kind of in the hurricane season, but that's, you know, here it can be a good thing because sometimes it gets really hot. It's nice, you know, to have a little bit of rain for the trees and everything. So it's good. good. I can't wait to dive into talking about modeling your business and the other topics. But before we get started, I always like to ask, what is it like around your dinner table on a typical day? Oh, good question. Um, Usually around the dinner table, you would find me and my boyfriend. And we often like when we cook, like right now, we don't do that as much because we just had to move from our house. But usually we would have like pots and pans on the the table. We're like that. Well, the time to put all the pots and pans and just dive in. We like we love actually family style dining. So that's kind of how we do it. We used to live, we used to like live in uh, rooms and things like that. So we didn't have like a really 
a place to like sit at a dining table and eat. So when we moved in together, that was the first rule we had to just have dinner at a proper table, you know, talk with each other. I feel like it's it's kind of like a dying art almost. <laughs> You're one of the few people that answered with, well, when we are around the table, here's what it is. Almost everyone else just laughs and says, well, we normally are in front of the TV or we're on tray tables or. Yeah. Yes, even if I if I'd like to like, you know, cheat once and and dine just in front of the TV, like my boyfriend always still still sticks to like the dining table. <laughs> so I feel like I I feel pressured to like go to the dining table and have like a proper sit down. Some good peer pressure forcing yes. you to have social <laughs> time with those with people you care about. Exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite meal to serve family style? Who what is my favorite? Well, I think it's, it's, I don't think we actually have one favorite. Well, there are, I know my, my boyfriend is Dutch, so he likes like a very typical Dutch meal, which is potatoes, meat, and then veggies, like boiled veggies. And for me, that is like the worst type of meal I can have. <laughs> I mean, that is so boring, but he insists on having it. And he always ha needs to have like applesauce with it and mayo and things like that. But I like everything. I, I just like having something different every time. So that's that's how that's how I often cook. So we would have from, you know, my my childhood favorite dish, dish was always spaghetti with sausages. So sometimes I would have spaghetti with sausages and tons of meat. And then other times I would have tacos, hamburgers risotto and area food <laughs> i love that he's like no i just want the the typical like almost like american midwest meal that like <laughs> yeah. my parents grew up on you yeah. know it's like no this is standard dutch and yes. you know mid-ohio it's uh <laughs> exactly so i feel like many food bloggers start off blogging as a hobby you know, they're just kind of doing whatever they want. That's how I got started. And then it can be a hard transition when you actually decide that, you know, I want to turn this into a business and start really making a money. How do you go about planning what direction that, you know, you want your blog to go as a blogger? Yes, I think almost all food bloggers that I've talked to have indeed started their blog because of a hobby. The thing is that food blogging is quite an expensive hobby. So, you know, you have the food you have to make, all the apps you need to buy, the, the photography gear. So it's quite an expensive hobby. So at some point, I think all food bloggers realize like, okay, you know, I'm getting some traffic. This, this is looking good. And this is also costing me money. So I'd like to like, you know, earn a bit from my blog. And the usual route would be trying to do ads, sponsored posts, things like that. But I think like the first step you need to make if you really want to make money with your blog is defining what it is, you know, what type of blog do you have and for who is it? Because in the beginning, it's often you have this idea or you have these dishes that you like and you put it out. But at some point, it has to become something that really serves the reader and not serve everyone out there, but serve one specific reader, <laughs> one type of person. So 
the first thing I would I would advise every food blogger who wants to go to like the more business route with their blog is to identify what your niche is and who are you serving. Those are the main main elements that you need to really be able to grow um, your blog eventually. Yeah, I think it's there's so much talk in especially food blogging, but blogging in general about different tactics, about how you increase Instagram Instagram uh, engagement, how you grow a Facebook group, how you do SEO keyword research. And there's a lot less talk about why you would want to do a specific you know, tactic and yeah. whether or not it even fits into your strategy whatsoever. How do you, how do you narrow down, you know, what tactics, like what direction do you want to go? There's so many blogging outcomes. How do you think it's a food blogger that goes, okay, I do want to go somewhere. How do I narrow down where I actually do want to go? Yeah. You know, the, when you start honing in into your strategy, you kind of get the answers to all the, the tactical level questions and how you eventually get to the strategy. And I think some, some bloggers kind of get stuck here. Like, oh, what, what niche do I choose? What audience do I choose? Because before that, they get a, a different type of audience. They have a different type of audience and maybe they're putting different type of content. So I think the the first thing you have to ask yourself is who do I want to attract? Because there is no point in creating this blog or defining a niche that you're not passionate about because you have to realize that you're going to have to make content for a while for this specific group or this specific topic. So ask yourself, what who do I want to attract? What, how do I like to serve them? And when you start from your internal motivation, you have more passion to um, pursue whatever avenue you want to pursue, but also it, it flows much easier. So the first step is to ask yourself what you'd like, and then look at the data you already have, because that's that's the goal that many food bloggers have and sometimes don't realize they have so much data already. Go into your um, Google Analytics, go into your Instagram Analytics, for example, and look at what, what are the type of people that I'm attracting and does that match the type of person I want to help, I want to attract to my blog. I love that concept of how do you want to, what type of people do you want to attract? Because there are so many different writing styles. There's so many different types of content you can put out there. And some people get frustrated that it's like, yeah, all my traffic just comes from SEO and they look at the recipe and they're gone. And it's yeah. like, well, what do you spend your time on? It's like, well, SEO. Like, well, that's why you're attracting those types of people. And yeah. e even from a niche level, I think it's really important. I got started writing about sous vide cooking, which is like the low temperature precision cooking. And it was 10 years ago. There was no books out about it, really. Thomas Keller's Under Pressure just came out. And it was something that a lot of high-end chefs were really focused on. And I looked at that. I was like, I don't have the skills or the knowledge to compete with Thomas Keller, who's a three-star Michelin you know, chef. He's one of the best chefs in the world. And so I really defined my niche as simplifying sous vide, sous vide for home cooks, for explaining it in a way that's like, hey, here's how you can make a 
chicken breast really easy when you're busy. And some people didn't care about that because they wanted, you know, Michelin food. And I'm like, great, you're not for me. Yeah. So I'm not going to worry about this. Yeah. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that you are not going to please everyone. And that is actually the best type of branding and marketing you can have when um, you attract some and repel some. It's okay. Because if you're going to talk to speak to everyone, there's where you water down your message, where you spread yourself thin. And there's where you also get everyone who comes to your blog only comes for the recipe and then they click away. They don't actually spend time to be on the blog because if I take, for example, myself, I love hamburgers. I'm, I'm a burger geek. I, everywhere I travel, yeah, <laughs> everywhere I travel, I just have to taste their burgers. So if I come across a, a blog that is really specific on the burger, I assume that the blog will also like one blog post will include like the type of meat they use, the temperature, how the techniques that they use. When I see that, I'm like, I, I'm sticking around. I want to follow them. I want to see what other information they share. I mean, I, I don't have a restaurant where I'm cooking burgers, but I'm still geeky enough to, to want to try out whatever they say. And I will still you know, be try to recreate whatever they they're teaching. But if it's not as specific, then I will just go and look at the recipe and then I'm gone. That's it. Because it doesn't provide me any added value. It doesn't fulfill a wish. It doesn't solve a problem for me. It's just a, a quick transaction. I think it's uh, Seth Godin that says, you know, if you try to please everyone, you'll please no one and you end exactly. up not speaking to any audience at all and it feels really weird to limit yourself and to only talk to a few people but it is so much more powerful that when they know what to expect from you and from your posts and your content like they tune in to hear your viewpoint on whatever topic it is that you're talking about yeah and i what i often see is that bloggers get really scared because they're, they're very multi-passionate. And I understand that I have the same thing. I'm an Enneagram 7. So I go from one thing to another. So I do get that. But the, the thing is that you have to think, you have to think about it as not that you are limiting yourself to just one thing. Think about that you're focusing on one thing for this moment. You may be able to you know, venture into something else or add a different niche or broad, broaden your niche in the future. But start with one. When you have one down, then move to something else. But you have to start somewhere and start start doing it really well because the industry is so cutthroat. It's, there's so many competition. So you need to be able to stand out. And the only way you can do that is if you can excel in one area. I love the concept of this decision is for the next X period of time that it's, I was talking to someone in my mastermind group and she couldn't decide between a few niches. And we said, okay, here's what you should do. Pick one of them. And for the next three months, only write about that topic. And then after three months, you can write about another topic if you want, or, or like that will focus you. And that way you're not making, there is no right decision. It's only three months. That's, that's yeah. not that hard to do. 
Exactly. And then from there, you can see sometimes, you know, when I see a lot of people, when they focus on one thing, they start to like it. They start somehow they, they immediately start to focus on one thing. They're like, I don't need anything else. This is actually what I've always wanted. So uh, it removes all the noise. And I think doing that short time frame also helps you in the the opposite that we've all probably run into. That's like, this would be a really fun niche and topic to write about. And you start writing about it. You're like, oh, this is this is not fun. I'm, I'm so tired of this. And you know that like I made this decision for three months or whatever. I can stick with it for three months and then I can switch. It's not this like huge decision that you've you know you can't overturn and now you're stuck talking about something you don't like and exactly and one thing that i've i've also noticed in the food blogging industry is that oftentimes many we look at things from one dimension so when you think like oh i'm choosing this niche maybe this niche is way too specific and i may not be able to grow it what we don't realize is that there are many other ways where you can still profit from that same niche but you just have to be creative you have to be creative with your business model or with um, the marketing channels you use you know there's not one way not everyone has to go to the same route of you know working with brands or even maybe doing an ebook maybe you can say i'm gonna do a combination of six things or maybe i'll say i'm doing a course so there's so many avenues that you can take it's just a matter of choosing one first and then going from from there and see wh- what doors do open when I start this this journey. I always recommend people to, with you talking about that there's a lot of different ways you can go. I always recommend like, look at what you enjoy doing. Like, not even like the topic, but like, do you like writing recipes? There's, there's people I know that photograph recipes and there's people I know that write recipes and they don't do the other one. And yeah. some people do it all and like all of it. But if you love being on video, like let that inform the type of directions and the type of eventual strategy and tactics that you're going to choose. How do you how do you recommend people when they start figuring out that they have an affinity for something? How do they look at how they can put that into a business model. Okay, so what I always recommend, and this this requires some research, is first look at how do you, what problem do you solve or what wish do you fulfill? And the difference I love is, that. So yeah. many people don't start with the problem, like find yeah. a problem and then if yeah. you solve it, you will make people very happy. Exactly. Because the thing is that, you know, we can, we you can have so many ways to present something, but it has to be able to solve a problem in the way that your audience wants that problem to be solved. And me, let me first start with what the difference is between solving a problem and fulfilling a wish. Because sometimes, especially in the food industry, not everything is a problem. Yes, we have to eat, but there are different ways that we nourish ourselves. Sometimes it's just a luxury. Sometimes we just want to go to a Michelin star restaurant to feel good about ourselves. So in something like that is more a wish. It may be that going to a Michelin star um, restaurant makes you feel, gives an air of prestige or that it gives you status or something like that. Whereas if a 30 minute quick meal is more 
a problem that you solve. Someone doesn't have time, they need food. That's it. So once you know, okay, what is the problem that I solve? And you can identify this in your own blog already. Like with the content you're producing, ask people maybe that reads your blog, like what, why do they read your blog? What, what do they hope to get out of it? Or what, why do they like it? You can ask your email list. You can ask your Instagram following. You can even ask your family. It's as easy as that. So for example, someone who is, let's say someone who does entertaining at home, maybe the problem you're solving for people is that they may be young. They may just start entertaining. They have no idea what to do. They're not very kitchen savvy. So you make it simple for them. You make entertaining simple for them. Whereas if I take, for example, my own blog, I'm not really solving a problem, but I'm offering people a space and a community where they can, where they can explore their, their, their own culinary adventures, where they can, you know, really spend time in the kitchen, do something fun, do something fun with people. So once you know whether you're fulfilling a wish or solving a problem, you can go even deeper and asking your audience doing an actual research interviewing people in what ways they would like it to be solved. Now you have to be really careful with this because it's like, it's like with tech, you know, like no one ever said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I want to make calls. So give me a smartphone. No one really knew they had that need, but you can, you can put things together, connect the dots because one may have said, oh, well, I want to make calls. And one may have said, you know what? Sometimes when I'm at work, sometimes when I get home, I don't see my emails from work and that's a little bit annoying. So then you can say, wait, what if I put all these together and make something out of it? I can put all these problems that people have and then try to solve it with the product or service that I'm offering. So if you're a food blogger who does instant pot recipes, then look at what problems do people have when, when it comes to their, their, when it comes to cooking with instant pot and then go look at what, what do they do in their daily life? So what maybe what type of content do they consume? Where do they hang out? What do they do? And then you can start narrowing the type of, um, product or business model that you can create for them. But it does require an extensive knowledge of your audience. I love the the concept that I always recommend to them too, is once you find these problems, come up with all the different solutions that you think there are, and then start with the ones that are easiest exactly. to come up with. Like it might be a blog post or a single video, get those out there. And if you get five or 10 of those out, which one of those are people like really resonating with? Is it speaking to them? And then maybe that's what you turn into a, a course or a sponsored post or a, an entire you know service that you can offer them. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like you don't have, you don't need to just come up with one thing. You can come up with various offers and then, you know, like store them in a bin, you know, that, that, that idea of just storing them in a bin and then choosing one of them the one that is easiest, the one that you think you can actually execute and see what, what people, how people react to that. Sometimes you would see like, okay, this really does not work. So you take another card from the bin and then you try that one. 
maybe you see like, okay, this is working, but I'm seeing that people are struggling with one area. Then you look through your bin and you're like, wait, what if I put these two together? Then have something really awesome. And then you put that out. I think the concept of keeping them in a bin is super important that when I try to come up with those, the solutions, I, I write everything down because it doesn't matter how stupid it looks because it might be stupid by itself, but combined with something else, it might be the perfect solution. And if you start filtering yourself about when you're writing things down, I feel like you don't, you start filtering out good ideas too. your brain's like, Oh, it'd be like if me and you were having a conversation and I'm like, Oh, Miley, what about this? You're like, no, I don't like that. What about this? I don't like that. I'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> well I'm not going to offer this one because she's going to reject it too. Yeah. You know, and like you do that to yourself so often. It's like this self-censorship. Yes. Yes. And you we have to remember what we are our own worst critics. So maybe something for you may sound silly or you may think like, who's going to buy that? But someone else may quite as well be buying it. They may, you know, sometimes we see things that we're like, how can people spend so much money on that? But they do it because that's their priority. That's what they like, or the problem is really important for them to be solved. So just put them out there. And instead of, you know, of course your, your judgment counts, but your market, the judgment of your market, how they respond to uh, whatever your, the offer you have, that is even more important because eventually you're going to create something for them. And I see a lot of food bloggers struggle in this stage because they started the blog for themselves. It was, it was an outlet for their creativity. But there comes a point where your audience isn't um, a copy-paste version of yourself. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to even look at it that it's, it's good. Because now you're able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture for your audience and not be clouded with your own preferences. That was a huge kind of hurdle for me to get over, especially as I started doing cookbooks and video courses. Like my cookbooks and video courses are very different than the ones that I personally consume. And that was hard for me to like get my ego out of the way and be like, okay, this is not for me. This is for my fans and my fans yeah. want something different. And I need to stop caring what I want because as far as like the product, because that's not, that's not what I'm selling. I'm not selling something to myself. I'm selling it to people that have their own hopes and desires and needs. And providing that is the easiest way to be successful. Exactly. Yes. I, one example is because you know, I'm not in the States, so I weighed all my ingredients. I don't use, well, I use cups because I just happen to have them. And a lot of the, the recipes I use are in cups. But the thing is that there are certain things that when I see in cups, I'm like, how, how, how can I put this in cups? Like, how can I put a cold butter in cups? <laughs> but I, do you understand that? For the, the American audience, that is how they do it. So now when I have to make the recipe, in the beginning, I was like, I don't, I don't want to make my recipes in cups. I just don't want to. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how to do this. But then at some point I realized it's I'm not making, I'm not doing my blog for myself. I'm doing it for others as well. So I have to, I, I just have to present whatever it is that they want. So now have both. Problem solved. 
I do the same thing with a lot of a lot of the sous vide communities overseas. So there's their metric, some measure it, and then we have the Fahrenheit and the Celsius, and it's everyone knows one, and that's all that they know. So it's always really hard to have like translate conversations between it, and it's it was a hard thing for me to be like, well, if they don't know Fahrenheit, they can look it up, and it's like, is that really the attitude you want? Like. People yeah. are coming to you for information and your your default response is like, well, they can go elsewhere to figure that out. It's like, exactly. no, give them what they need. Yes. Yes. And there, it comes back to just serve your audience in the best way possible in your business model, in your marketing, in your content, whatever it is, you need to be able to serve them well, which is why you need to know what will what they need and what they want, what they expect from your blog and your offers. And of course, this is all in the context of your your perfect kind of avatar, the person you're writing for, that if you find yourself like, oh, we're going down this rabbit hole of I'm doing content that I really hate writing about, then it's time to change your avatar to something that you do want to serve and kind of support. Exactly. Yes, yes. Your avatar is so, so important. And what I often see is that food bloggers, they make like the a quite standard the basics of um avatar so you know they would have like a persona the name the age you know the, the demographic elements they may have some psychographic elements like the likes and dislikes but often it's just their gut feeling so it's based on whatever they think their audience is or sometimes it's even based on the self which is a good way to start but when you want to really monetize your blog and create offers, products, whatever, it's important to go a little bit deeper. And I know that for bloggers, it may cost a lot to do like a whole questionnaire. And because of questionnaire, you need a lot of people. So in that case, I often recommend people just, you know, schedule maybe five to six interviews with people that follow you or people that you think you would like to follow you and then see what they have to say. Ask, ask them questions as if you're, you know, doing a coffee chat with them to really get most of the information out of them. I think your point about going to psychographics and even beyond that is is super important that a lot of people view, I think, an avatar is like, well, it's a, a, a mother of two who's 36. And it's like, that means nothing. You know, like, does she does she have a spouse? Does she work full time? Does are are one of her, her kids, you know, autistic? Are they, yes. you know, what ages? What's their income? You know, doing that yeah. on twenty thousand a year is very different than on two hundred thousand a year. Yeah. Like, what does she believe about nutrition? What does she believe about, you know, family time, sitting down at a table together? Like, what are all these thoughts that she has? And that's going to be a much more interesting definition than just a female with two kids. Yes. And one thing that that people don't realize is when you go into free of the psychographic elements, one one thing can make a lot of difference. So for example, if you have an audience that is someone who watches AGTV and the cooking channel, and then you have someone else who watches Food Network alone, Already from that information, you can make a few, you can analyze that data and with every demographic elements, etc., you may be able to see that the one the person that only watches Food Network 
maybe someone who's a little bit older they they're more family oriented so to them cooking is more for the family whereas someone who watches HGTV and cooking channel combined it's someone who's more into the aesthetic they want something new maybe it's someone who's younger they're more into trendy things so there's a big difference between those two because some one may be more open for example to experimenting whereas the other wants things a bit more traditional and the content you're going to produce the offer you're going to make the 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 marketing channels you're going to use the tactics you're going to use all depend on that information there's so much beyond simple demographics i think uh, tim schmoyer talks about doing like belief statements for that's how he likes to come up with niches that a using the the same example you know with a mother with two children like someone that believes that family time is like the time that brings families together is going to want very different content than someone that believes that like than a work than if she's working say and it's like i need to feed my children something nutritious yeah in the as easy as possible after i've been working 10 hour days and like those recipes might actually be the exact same recipes in a lot of cases but the way that you present them and the things that you talk about them and how you describe them are going to be vastly different yeah. and you know i've heard you talk a lot about you know find your secret sauce and what makes you stand out from other bloggers and i feel like those belief statements are a good way to that it's not just another chicken parm recipe it's yeah. a chicken parm recipe specifically for this type of person exactly and you know when i look i just rebranded my blog and in 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 the past i would make you know let's say you have to make a patty with jam during in it usually i would m- say you know you store bought jam but now because i know my new demographic i know they'd like to make their own so everything has to be homemade that it's oh, it's the same recipe but with just a little difference is that one is homemade one is not and w- just that simple thing can make make a whole lot of difference because someone who comes for you to your blog specifically because they know they're going to get something specific how do you recommend to bloggers i know this comes up a lot if someone goes to your blog and is like well this is dumb couldn't i just use storebot you know and it's it's not in your niche and it's not who you're focused on but they have problems with it and i feel like a lot of bloggers take it really personally how do you recommend they handle that first don't take anything personal nice <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i feel you know that and it comes down to you've made something you've created something you've created your blog for yourself so it's going to feel com- it's going to feel personal but at some point you have to train yourself and remember who you're doing it for that if someone is if someone comes to me and say well can i just make this torba Yes, you can. We we advise and we encourage everyone to, you know, use homemade and to really spend a nice Saturday doing this um alone or with your kids or whatever. But if it's not something you want to do, then of course, buy store-bought. And you let it be. <laughs> <laughs> you go, you pour a glass of wine and you just let it go. <laughs> Yeah, those negative comments can be so hard especially when you know that they're not 
I don't know, they're not related to what you're trying yeah. to accomplish, but we still internalize them. We're like, well, should I start going more in that direction or should I lean to serve that person? And it's it's really hard to resist the the need to kind of want to be liked yeah. by everybody. Yeah. And a funny story is that when I was working as a marketer back back when I just started my career, I was working at a restaurant and at a restaurant, you get a lot of people, you know, when when um, they leave, you ask them, was everything OK? Was every were you pleased with everything? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go home and they put like a very mean comment <laughs> on on social media. So I had to like monitor all those comments and answer reply. So one thing we used to do, and I think this is a good exercise for food bloggers, is that we would have like this moment where we would talk with each other and then we would like reply how we would like to reply, like literally <laughs> uncensored. Then we take a deep breath, take a cup of coffee, and then we give a very polite answer. Because sometimes you just have to let the frustration go. But once you let that go, remi- re- remind yourself that this is not the person who you are serving. And then also try to think of use it as a, a, a reminder of, okay, maybe should I check how I'm doing things? Should I check how I'm putting my content out there, sharing my content? Because if you're, if 80% of the people coming in are telling you that maybe they don't like the recipe or they want something different or it's not what they expected, then you may have to ask yourself if you're attracting the right people. And oftentimes when bloggers struggle with this is because the type of person or it's because they don't even have an idea who they want to attract, first of all. And if they do, then it's not specific enough or not tailoring to, they're not tailoring their, their actions to the audience. So for example, I have, I know Pinterest is very big for traffic for food bloggers, but I've interviewed quite some quite some people that are very food lovers and they don't use Pinterest. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, is that the type of audience you have or is your audience really on Pinterest? Are they more in Facebook groups? Are they more on Instagram? What, what communication channels do they use and w- which one can you leverage best? I think that's really interesting. Just looking at the different ways you can get in front of people and especially like you're saying, you're, a lot of what you've been saying, you know, boils down to know who you're trying to attract and make sure you're doing it. And if you're trying to attract, say, vegans, and you found that when you post on Facebook, like the top 10 like comfort foods, a lot of people click on that. But a lot of them are expecting meatloaf and pot roast and chicken parm. And they're like, what? Why is all this vegan? Like, it doesn't matter that you're attracting a lot of people from Facebook or Pinterest. You're attracting the wrong people. So you might right. want to change it to attract more of the right people, even if it's less people overall. Yes, yes, it's exactly that. You have to be really mindful um, because sometimes with with food blogging, even though we would like to focus on quality, sometimes we immediately think about the quantity because we think, okay, more traffic means more ad revenue. So I need to increase traffic, increase traffic, increase traffic. But you want to think about the quality of that traffic because you can increase it, increase it, increase it, increase it. But how long will all those people stick with you? How sustainable is that? And I know for a fact that many food bloggers are not in it to just do it once because 
you know, food blogging is a is a long game. So I know that they 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 really want to do it for a while and really build something that is sustainable. So you have to be able to understand the behavior of your audience, like if when they're coming in, are they sticking around? How long are they sticking? Are they becoming like super fans? I always say like you want to have an audience of super fans that will help you get a Netflix show. There's where we have to go to the Netflix show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Having those fans that will support you, they have your back. They, if you get into products and services, they're the ones that will buy it and the ones that will share it with their friends and they will do marketing for you it is very hard to get if you're not consciously trying to curate that. Yes. Yes. And it's just, you know, you have to think of it first. You got 10 people in the room, then you got 20, not, then you got 30. So how much, how many of those can you, can you put in the room and let, let them stay there? Not everyone is going to stick around, but when you are very intentional of cultivating a relationship with your reader, there's where you, you're able to create, you're able to create a group of super fans. So I know a lot of what we've been talking about is, you know, hard that it is the amount of people you have going to your site matters a lot if all you have is ads. And it's something that I did a whole presentation at Madison's Food Blogger Summit. Yeah. I've heard you talk about it a lot. You know, what are some steps and maybe some first steps bloggers can take that if a food blogger is out there and says, okay, I want to bring in, attract the right people and I want to sell them something besides just ads. What are some avenues that they can explore that you found can be some good ways that they can kind of separate themselves from just the ad-based blogging pack? Yes. So the, what what I've talked also in my presentation is that the way you monetize your blog defines the experience that you give your readers. And the way you can send out is by giving them a, an experience that is different from other bloggers. That means that you have to look at how are you monetizing your blog. If it's only about ad revenue, then the only thing you're focusing on is increasing traffic. Whereas if you're using other, other avenues for, for gaining revenue, then you're going to be a little bit more creative and you're also going to set up your blog differently and your marketing differently. With food bloggers, what I often see is that digital products are really, really popular but it's often because it's the easiest way for them to start especially because you do have an audience you have pretty most food bloggers have a fairly good audience and they have like the advantage of having the traffic and an audience whereas many businesses that start they don't have that they have to create that so food bloggers can do something that is a more low tiered low price offer this can be an ebook it can be a mini course it can be even an actual cookbook you know going the self-publishing route you can try to create communities communities are a little bit more difficult so i would say use that as a second step you can create printables self-printables so those are a few of the things that I've seen that can work really well for food bloggers. Also because food bloggers are already 
they already know how to create content around that, how to promote that. They are very well versed with Instagram and all the social media channels. So creating a digital product can be very good for them. If going offline, what I've seen, and of course these days it's more difficult, but I've also seen food bloggers be really good at doing events. I, you know, whether, whether that is doing events for, you know, the type of cooking you're doing, or maybe it is in a type of profession, for example, food photography, but those, you know, doing an event may be able to create an an in-person experience where you gather people and you're able to gain money from them as you're building your reputation. Because in the beginning, while you have the traffic, you want to create, you want to build authority. So that's, that's kind of like the focus. When you start with something small, from that, you're able to gather the data, actual data from what people, you can really see what people like or what they don't like. And then from there, you can build upon that. You can do maybe courses that are in the 200, 400 categories, or you can even go 1K if you'd like. <laughs> you can create a community. You can create a whole conference. So, but it, it starts with something small. So you know a little bit of what your audience like, what they lean into. If it succeeds, it takes less time, less investment. And then from there, you can, you know, try to venture out into different, into other offers. And if you want to find out how good you are at explaining your type of cooking, you should do a hands-on cooking class of some kind because it becomes very apparent what if you're focusing on the right things or not focusing on the right things. Yes, yes. And, that um, you know, by starting with a class, a master class, something small, you're also able to say, like, how much do I like this? Because oftentimes we see things um, from the outside and we think, oh, that looks cool until you started. And then you're like, oh, wait, I see. I feel like, for example, with podcasting, it's something that I've always looked at. I'm like, that seems so cool. You just you just talk. You just talk. That's it. Until you like research. You're like, no, 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 no. It's not just talking. This is going to take too much time. I don't think I'm going to like this. <laughs> I just woke up like 15 minutes ago, hopped on with you. And, you know, that's all that goes into it. <laughs> and I think cooking classes are a great thing that a lot of bloggers don't explore. And especially right now is the ideal time to do it because so many people are fine doing online classes that you can do a a Zoom class, a private Facebook group. There's a lot of different ways you can monetize it. We've had Kathy Hester on and she's spoken to a lot of conferences as well about she does a ton of hands-on virtual cooking classes. And it's like, it's a great source of income. And to both of our points, like doing a single hands-on cooking class is not a ton of work. It's not a long-term commitment that you're now, you know, doing a 30, 40, video course that few of five people show up for a single hands-on class it's like great we had five people we had a good time and you're not disappointed exactly and i think during your presentation you made a good point that you said like look at one one post that is doing really well and then see what ways you can use that post to create a different ways to monetize it so you can use from one post you can see okay can i do a cooking class of this. Can I do it virtually? Can I do it in person? And right now people are getting really used to doing things virtually, which is an added bonus. 
I just did a virtual class with Chibo, which has just started out. We had their CEO on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we had, I think there's 39 people showed up and we made three different sous vide dishes. And it was just like a fun, intimate, like hands-on thing. That was great. And it brought in a little bit of money, but it's the type of thing. If you love that, you can do it once a week. You know, I think Kathy Hester does two different classes every month and then she resells them afterwards. You can purchase them as packages. And she now has, I think it's like 20 or 30 different packages you can buy from her. And she has like a great library of content now that she can offer to when she attracts the the super fans. Exactly. Yes. Well, I think I have all my questions answered. If you have, if people out there have more questions for you, what is the best place for them to, to find you, to get more information? What type of help can you offer them? Yes. So you can find me on my website, omailylucas.com or on Instagram at omailylucas as well. I offer one hour consultancy where we can see like what are the different avenues you can take what is the potential of your blog to monetize it to brand it and market it and i also have starting next year i will have the a branding boot camp where we basically start to take the first step in turning your food blog into an actual business and i guess in the short term too the uh, food blogger summit i think all access pass is probably yeah. still available which yeah. is where we we met at madison's virtual yeah. event you get all the wonderful speakers there. O'Malley, thank you so much for coming thank on, you. sharing your expertise. Thank you. So, so nice. I was excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. It's always great talking with someone else that overlaps a lot in the, the concepts yeah. of strategy and how to move your blog forward. And don't forget, you can join us live every Thursday when we record all of these episodes. You can ask the guest questions, talk to the other bloggers in the comments, and even see our smiling faces. So join us Thursdays at makethatbacon.com slash live. Until next time, I'm Jason Logston. So see you next Thursday.